Hello and welcome to Primary Care Today. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough, and today we have a very special guest, Dr. Ted Epperly. Dr. Ted Epperly is a family physician in Boise, Idaho. He sees patients, he teaches family medicine residents, and he directs the Family Medicine Residency of Idaho. He's also the author of a new book called Fractured. It's really a look at the healthcare system here in the United States, and you can judge by the name of the book. It clearly is something that probably represents what many people feel about our health care system and where we are and how we can make it better. First of all, Dr. Epperly, welcome to the program. Thank you, Brian. Good to be with you. Um, I, you have years of experience in family medicine, and clearly this program is directed as a primary care program for an audience that includes a lot of family doctors. Tell me a little bit about the book and, and why you decided to write it. Right. I was the president of the American Academy of Family Physicians uh, during the time period when uh, the Affordable Care Act was being conceived and formulated. In fact, I met with President Obama and his staff six times and testified to Congress 18 times during my president year and my board chair year. And in that time period, Brian, I came to really get a good sense of what was going on with our healthcare system up close and personal. Of course, that uh, was a reflection on what 33 years of being a family doctor had already shown me. But I recognized that uh, I was tired of talking with the politicians. And who needed to better understand this uh, was the American public. Because I believe that if the American people started to understand what was wrong with our healthcare system and what could be done to heal it, that we could really start to make differences happen. You know, when you look at the system right now, where we are, are you surprised that there have been so many problems, at least initially, with the website and all the other things that have happened? Not really. A couple things to that. Uh, first, this was a complex undertaking. It was major, a major overhaul of our healthcare system, which is $2.8 trillion per year, which is the largest economic sector in the entire American economy. So something that was going to be undertaken of this magnitude was certainly ripe for problems. And for any of us that have installed any sort of electronic medical record system or any sort of electronic system at all, uh, we all recognize that things don't go perfectly. So the drafting of all of this, which was hard enough, uh, as witnessed by the Affordable Care Act and all the machinations over this, it's not surprising to me then the second phase, which is the implementation phase, was going to be ripe uh, with trouble. So let me give you an example. It's like building this beautiful big ship. So what the ACA did was that was the blueprints of what the ship would look like. And then you've got to hire thousands of contractors and subcontractors to build the ship. So it's not surprising to me that going from the blueprints, if you will, to then the building of the ship, there were going to be major issues with that in terms of trying to get it technically correct. So when you looked at it and you, and you, you looked at the job, you knew it was going to be massive, and, and to have a voice must have been very exciting for you. Do you feel as if your voice was listened to you? Do you feel that family doctors were able to get through you and through others the message to the politicians, and do you see it being represented in the policy? Yes, absolutely. Um, let me give you a couple short vignettes, Brian. Um, uh, many of the visits uh, on to Capitol Hill, talking with the influential senators and uh, House members and president himself, 
uh, I was very pleased to have them say uh, such things as, you know, we're really glad to hear the voice of the family physicians. Uh, we recognize that all physicians in medicine aren't after the same thing. Uh, most are after just their own personal incomes. What we see in the family physicians, they said, was somebody that was advocating for the people of our country, for their patients, for a betterment of a healthcare system. So I was very impressed to, one, understand that they did get it in the sense of what we were trying to accomplish, and second, that they held family doctors and other primary care physicians in such high esteem. They saw them not being after just personal gain from all of this, but helping craft a system of healthcare that was going to be beneficial to the people of the United States. And so I was very pleased uh, with that. And to your other part of your question, absolutely. I believe that uh, they did a lot in the Affordable Care Act to help then restore primary care to being a ro robust foundation of what we must do to get the healthcare system right. It's not gonna take a million anesthesiologists and dermatologists to fix this system. It's gonna take a bunch of dedicated primary care physicians because really when you look at it, uh, what the big issues are is around access. Uh, you know, you can't have people going to the emergency room or to the hospital because of a broken primary care system. What they have to do is uh, generate both the workforce uh, in terms of having enough family physicians, but also then paying them and incenting the system to have family doctors do what's really good for people, which is to see them over time, to have a relationship with them, to help improve their health through that relationship that starts to improve the quality of health care for the people of the country, but also lower costs. So that's what they really saw in this, and that's why they were very pleased to hear the voice of the family doctor. You're listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough. My guest is Dr. Ted Epperly. He's the author of Fractured, America's Broken Healthcare System and What We Must Do to Heal It. He's past president and past board chair of the American Academy of Family Physicians. He's published more than 45 peer-reviewed scientific articles and book chapters, former colonel in the U.S. Army. It goes on and on, so he's a great expert to talk about this. Let me present a negative view and tell me where you see that view is wrong and where you see it might be right. Because one of the frustrating things I see as a physician out there is that I can watch, let's say, Fox, or I can watch MSNBC, or I can watch CNN, and I can be bombarded with a, a dramatically different approach from each of those network outlets. And we all know the views of those outlets, but we'll, we'll get a d different approach. So depending on who you're listening to, you think it's the worst thing that ever happened or the best thing that ever happened. And we all know reality's somewhere in the middle. So let me give a, a negative or a concern view and tell me where I'm wrong or where I'm right. Where I see problems with the healthcare system now from my vantage point as, you know, as a chair of a family medicine department and in practice is that it seems to me that the new system is not necessarily rewarding visits to the primary care physician because of the deductibles. Like, in other words, they're going to have to come up and pay money to come in if they're in one of these plans, and people basically are not going to pay that money uh, up front to the doctor. They're not going to want it. They're, why wasn't it designed that they get all sorts of care at no charge at the entry level where primary care and prevention can occur rather than the opposite, because it appears to me we're going to have fewer people coming in because they're going to say, hey, I can't pay the deductible. Right. Uh, I agree with that assessment. And to that, there is nothing to argue about what it should have been like in that regard, because I agree with you, Brian. You know, what we want to do is lower barriers to timely access, not create them. 
And so there's a bit of a disconnect, as you can imagine, in trying to rebuild a system based on primary care and then have the payment align exactly with that. And to that point, I would say that there is no disagreement, but I would add that it'll probably take anywhere from five to 20 years <laughs> to really get this thing dialed in. In other words, there are mistakes in this and there will need to be corrections made over time. What you described in terms of low deductibles, low co-pays, uh, the lowering of barriers to primary care needs to be what happens. Um, I think that first it'll take time to get there. Two, uh, everybody had to kind of be on board, meaning the payers, uh, the providers, uh, and all others to make sure that that happened. Some of this needed to be incremental in terms of steps towards the direction. And what you described was kind of a, uh, really a, a pretty good endpoint, but there are a lot of steps in between that. And to make that change with one fell swoop was probably a stretch too far for many, meaning uh, on the payer side, the insurance company side. And I think what I would say that is that the insurers do get this. They understand the importance of primary care, the patient-centered medical home. They've seen the data. They know that it starts to save cost while it improves quality. But so much of their model is built around not having their payments aligned to do that and the fact that with the insurance exchanges coming in that individual people could be in and out of the market, in and out of their company's insurance uh, you know, over a two-year time period, so to speak. So it was hard for them to deal with the uncertainty of what was going to happen financially with this, and that's why I think they were very cautious about how they went about the payment reform end of this, and that's why there's a bit of a disconnect. On that point and going forward, Okay, I work in a hospital, not much unlike many other hospitals, and, and I noticed that the model still is take care of your patients, but oh my gosh, the census is down. We better get people in, and we better get them out in three to four days, and we're going to do continuity of care. But the bottom line here is let's make sure we do this and still order tests and do all those things. It seems like they haven't changed that either. Like In other words, there should be more of a reward to facilities and doctors and hospitals for keeping people out and bringing them in when necessary, not on this two- to three-day payment. And that seems like a concern that wasn't corrected either. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, we still have the remnants of the old industrialized healthcare system, if you will. And it'll take, uh, I, I think, anywhere from two to five years to really start to dial in uh, different sorts of hospital payments, too. Let me give you a quick example. So we're really stuck still in fee-for-service with what we do. It's all on volume. It's all on production, both in our offices during the day and clearly in the hospitals at all times, uh, either in uh, numbers uh, going through the ER or numbers of butts in beds or number of OR cases. And so really to start to change that paradigm, uh, to really start to get to uh, value-based payments versus volume-based payments, then that payment system has to look different. So different mechanisms were written into the Affordable Care Act, and other insurance companies are dealing and uh, experimentally with pilots and others in regards to both bundled payments as well as different sorts of payment mechanisms based on just uh, what the DRG, uh, instead of just what the DRG is for, let's say, heart failure, one bundled or global payment then for uh, the entire episode of care for heart failure. Now, what's not been totally uh, understood is how is that going to get divided out and who is going to decide that? So. 
In the ACA, of course, were some innovative models, uh, such as both patient-centered medical homes, but also ACOs, accountable care organizations, that were going to start to behave in different ways around patient care to start to value then, instead of one each billing, fee-for-service, labs, uh, x-rays, physician visits, uh, some sort of payment for that person with heart failure in different ways. You're listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Brian McDonough, your host, and I am speaking with Dr. Ted Epperly. Interesting conversation continues as we talk about how the hospital system works and aligning payment quality and for care, those sorts of things. And Dr. Epperly, I know you were making some very important points about the issue of trying to align these things going forward. Absolutely. So at the hospital level, Brian, as we were talking about, they're going through a process now of kind of re-engineering themselves, too, to a newer payment system. Not only is Medicare penalizing them for unnecessary uh, readmissions or for hospital-related uh, complications, but bundled payments will start to really alter then how the payment works within hospitals. So they're recognizing there is a major change afoot uh, because if you want to change anything in the United States, you change how payment works. You change how the dollars flow. It's all about money. I mean, that's what our country's based on. And so if you want different outcomes, you've got to change the model. And so you align the money uh, better along those uh, mechanisms. So hospitals are at a very interesting point right now. They're still basically fee-for-service. They're basically a volume model. Uh, but they know what's coming. And so they're trying to sort it out, too, in terms of this reengineering. I think what we'll see in the end state, and this is the important part, is that we will actually see a decrease in the number of ER visits and the decrease in the number of hospitalizations, and that's good. We want that to happen. I mean, no patient out there wants to be in an ER or a hospital if they don't need to be, and that's why timely primary care access is the name of the game. That's the model. That's where the direction is going. All care should be at a community-based level in the clinic or at home, quite frankly. It's not that it should be in the ER or the OR or in the hospital. Now, of course, there will always be times when that is the place for, the, for right care. But right now, it's just a default uh, to care. So those days are coming. Those changes are coming. The hospitals recognize it. That's why so many of them are buying up so many family doctors' offices and primary care practices is that they want to control as much of the pipeline uh, as they possibly can. You bring that up as a last point, and it's a point I want to follow up on. A lot of family doctors I talk to say they're destroying the cottage industry. You know, My pride was having my office and coming in and seeing patients in the hospital, but now I'm going to either be owned by a hospital, I can't be on my own, therefore I'm going to do a template that everybody else gives me, and not only that, I'm going to turn my patients over to a hospitalist who doesn't know the family, doesn't know anything, and is going to order even more tests. What's the counter-argument to that? Because I hear a lot of that as well. Yeah. Uh, I, I would say to uh, your listeners, Brian, don't give up on this. Uh, if you are kind of contemplating this choice, uh, I would uh, say to family doctors, your day is coming, your stock is rising, and you need to stay independent as much as possible. You do not know uh, how much leverage you're going to have in the future system because you're going to have the patients. The coin of the realm in the future is who has the patients. It's not who has all the technology, who has all the gizmos, who has the brick and mortar. It's who has the patients. 
And so uh, primary care docs uh, are natural uh, in regards to having people, having the patients of the community. So I would say to them, absolutely, try to stay independent, uh, stay aligned in uh, small uh, practices, and then leverage contractually with payers and hospitals. Now, uh, to those that have already, Brian, uh, sold a practice uh, and are part of a larger system, I would say to you, don't underestimate your voice in, in, in creating change in that system. Don't let the hospitals tell you how this should work. You, as the primary care doctor who has the relationship with all these patients, need to absolutely be in the vice president of medical affairs and the CEO's offices and the C-suite offices talking with them about how now to make this work and how to incent it so that family doctors are incentivized for doing the heavy lifting of keeping people healthy. And uh, uh, all of that is going to take quite a bit of conversation, uh, but that is the direction. People need to see where it's going. And I would just tell you, uh, Brian, that uh, there has never been a time in all my years as a family doctor that uh, family physicians are going to play as much of a role in this changing healthcare system as there is right now. Dr. Ted Everly, thank you so much for joining us on Primary Care today on ReachMD. I really appreciate the time you've given us. You bet, Brian. Thank you for asking me. This is Dr. Brian McDonough. Again, if you missed any or part of this discussion, please visit ReachMD.com slash primarycare today to download the podcast and learn more on the series. Thanks again for listening.